Welcome to Vista Community Church. We are so thankful you are with us today. If this is your first time, welcome to the family. This is us just getting together and doing a worship service in your living room, in the kitchen, wherever we are. We're doing this together. We're having some worship. We're having a word from the Lord and just enjoying His presence. You know, we're all doing things a little different nowadays in the last several weeks and now in a couple months. Um, and we're just learning how to make things that seem impossible, possible. And that's the beauty of serving our God is that we have a God who makes the impossible possible in our lives. So here we are serving him and loving him and seeing him work, even in the midst of things that we don't get, that we don't understand, that we feel like we have no hope against. Here's our God saying, you know what? I have something for that and I have an answer for you and I'm here for you. So let's just worship as we talk about the God who's not done yet and he won't stop now. Yes, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Thanks for leading us in worship and welcome to you. Thank you for being uh, part of this online Sunday morning thing that we find ourselves in the middle of. It's really our privilege uh, to have this connection, whether you're right here in central Columbus, out of state, Racine, Wisconsin, across the ocean, another continent. we It's really our joy. It's our honor to have friends from around the world um, in joining together in moments like this. Um, unprecedented, really. Thankful that you're here. If you could find a way to reach out to us, uh, if you're not already a part of the community via our web or app or Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, we'd love to start a dialogue with you. Love to connect in some uh, meaningful way. Hey, kids, I've got a riddle for you that includes Winnie the Pooh. Now, if you don't know who Winnie the Pooh is, uh, find out because it'll be important for you to figure out this riddle that I'm going to throw at you. Okay, uh, we are launching into a new series uh, the, for the next four weeks, uh, and we're coming out of the book of John that we spent in uh, for maybe the last six weeks. And here's what we've realized. You could spend the rest of your life studying the words of the Apostle John uh, as he speaks about a life of following Jesus, and, and maybe we should. Um, for us, at least, we're going to spend the next four weeks and stay right there. We're going to move to the beginning of John, the first uh, seven or eight chapters pr primarily, um, and look particularly at a few vignettes, a, a couple lives, particular people that John highlights um, each of them, in fact, display a particular characteristic that could or should or would be and ought to be a characteristic of every single follower of Jesus. Um, arguably, this characteristic is the core of the Christian. Um, not, not, it's, not, it's not a behavior. It's a, it's a quality, a, a thing upon which everything else rests. We're going to talk really, about what truly makes a Christian great in hopes that you will be compelled to be a great Christian, to, to, to aim for great. I'm just going to say it. I, I, I want you to aim for great, and I want to I help, help you get there. I'm assuming that um, you're okay with that. I, I don't know if you're 
Uh, are you shooting for mediocrity? Is it a stretch for me to invite you into a, a time, uh, into a space, into a consideration of what it would take to be great? Or do you go there without any problem? I, you know, I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, maybe it's not a good presumption on my part that we're all aiming for great. Maybe some people are aiming for mediocrity. Maybe not even of their own choosing in one sense. Maybe you've aimed for great so many times and failed so many times that it's just less painful to aim for great anymore and just accept mediocrity. It's, it's fine, right? Or maybe, maybe somewhere in your past, maybe even in your formative years, someone sent you the uh, unholy message that there's nothing great about you and so don't ever expect to do anything great. Um, if you're the unfortunate uh, if you've got that unfortunate reality in your life, maybe maybe you have no interest in aiming for great. But uh, could, would you give me a chance to encourage you in that direction? Um, uh, I think it's it's attainable. It really is. I think it will be important for us to understand what it is that God defines as great and, and what it is he expects from his followers. Um, let's go there. Let, let's go there. Let me ask you this. Um, let me dig beneath this a little bit. Have you ever found yourself thinking that you might be meant for more? I think God puts that there. I think we just get it contorted and twisted because we think we know what more means, but there is a God thing within us that it compels us for something great. Maybe you've never thought that of an, maybe you've aspired to greatness. Maybe you've just, it comes out to you this way that, that you want to be great that there's something within you that doesn't seem quite right, that seems mediocre or broken, and you want to be great, I think God's put that there. I think that God puts within us a desire for greatness. He, he puts aspirations within us to be great. We just get it upside down and start pursuing these things that are put there by God, and we're just misdirected. And I think there is a way. There is a thing there is a godly thing in this battle within us, this impulse to either be great or do great. <laughs> That's like horrible grammar, but you, you, you know what I'm saying. You and I long to feel intentionally great in some way, whether internally or externally. We want to be more peaceful, more confident, more secure, more certain, more emotionally sturdy, more enduring, more faithful, more grateful, more generous, more compassionate. We want to have, we want to reach uh, uh, greater aspirations and go greater lengths and, and, and even have visibly uh, uh, more significant place in this life and, and, and to have tangible rewards that tell us that we're great. There is a natural attend tendency to aim for some sort of great. And I'm here to tell you how to get there. Today, I am your faith-based Tony Robbins. <laughs> today, <laughs> today, I'm 6'3", dark hair, sharp features. I fill up my t-shirt fully, and we're going to be walking on hot coals by the end of the hour. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to be me, which is the opposite of all that, pretty much. Except for the hot coals. We're going to do that. Nope, just kidding. Okay, we're going to start our search for the answer to what makes a Christian great by looking at John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist. Okay, kids. Hey, kids. Here's the riddle. Here's the riddle, right? Here, here you go, right? John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, probably didn't call him John the Baptist, uh, and Winnie the Pooh. Uh, we do call him Winnie the Pooh. I, I'm asking, this is, here's the question. Here's the riddle. What do John the Baptist and Winnie the Pooh have in common? Give you a second. What do John the Baptist and Winnie the Pooh have in common? It's right, right in front of you. They have the same middle name. They have the same middle name. The. John the Baptist, Winnie the Pooh. This is awesome. Same middle name. Okay, listen. Um, let, let, I want you to imagine something. What if your middle name was The, and it was Billy the blank, or John the blank, or Sally the blank, or Mary the blank, or Missy the blank, or whatever. What, what would the blank be for you? Spend some time while I'm talking to your uh, parents or your parent or the adults that are with you. Uh, what would it be for you? So-and-so, your name, the blank. Like I might be Mike the dad or Mike the pastor or I don't know, if I was Winnie the Pooh's brother, I'd be Mike the Pooh, which doesn't appeal to me. I really don't want to be Mike the Pooh because um, people might not realize that uh, there's an H involved. Uh, nonetheless, what would, your, what would your blank be? Have some fun with that. Okay, the reason we're going to look at John the Baptist to understand what great is in Jesus' eyes is because of what we read in Matthew 11, verse 11. Listen. Truly, I tell you, this is Jesus talking, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Born of women, that's a lot of people. <laughs> that's a lot of people. Jesus is saying, of all the people born of women, none has risen in any greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. We get two things. Two very important things out of these particular words from Jesus. Number one, Jesus names John the Baptist as the prototype for greatness. I don't think Jesus could have been any more flattering to anybody than what he was here. John the Baptist is the prototype for greatness. That's what Jesus is telling us. Secondly, we get the beginnings of something we're going to look into the rest of this series, uh, the definition of what great is in God's eyes. To Jesus says here how you can be greater than the greatest that Jesus has seen is brazenly un-American. Greatness in God's eyes means you've got to aim low. The Western mind can barely comprehend this. We'll get around to that. Today, we're going to spend the remainder of our time looking at what John the Baptist did that was so great. And we're going to start with the context of the verse we just read. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 11. We'll end up in John immediately soon here, and, and we'll stay in John pretty much for the rest of the thing. But look at Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. I'm going to read 11 verses. Here we go. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask, are you the one who is to come 
or should we expect someone else? The disciples did, in fact, ask Jesus, and Jesus said to them, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. That's Jesus. He continues, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? Just take John, that's where John lived, out in the sticks. What did you go see, Jesus said? Did you go see a man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. That's not where John is. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, but more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And John gets this flattering statement from Jesus. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the prototype for greatness. Let's look at him and see what it is to be great in God's kingdom. We're going to start here. What isn't it to be great in God's kingdom? First, greatness is not constrained by the circumstances of life. John was in prison. While John was in prison, Jesus said, he's the greatest. That should translate for us. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are. It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of a pandemic and you are quarantined to your house. That does not affect your greatness for God. You could have been in the worst accident ever, lost the ability, uh, the lost physical abilities of some sort, which some of you have for sure. It does not impact the greatness of your life in Jesus' eyes. I don't know what your chains are. I don't know what your disabilities are. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know if you've suffered trauma, loss, uh, whatever it is, whatever your circumstances are that make you feel like you're in prison, that you don't have what it, you don't have the, the context in order to be great, not true. While John was in prison, Jesus defined him as great. Paul says it this way, pray for me that I might speak words that they may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, whether in chains or out of chains, he was an ambassador for God, that his words would be spoken and God would do what he wants with them, irrespective of his circumstances. Our circumstances do not constrain the greatness that we can do for God. Secondly, it isn't dependent upon performance. I may be stretching beyond what the text says directly here, but in my opinion, John is wavering. John is losing, is, is having a, a crisis of faith to some degree. He's not sure if the one he thought was the Messiah is the Messiah, or at least the way that's it, the way it sounds to me. As a preacher, 
John is having a lackluster performance, a lackluster moment. He's losing his confidence. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, he's the greatest. He is the greatest. Clearly, John's circumstances, John's performance, whether external in terms of what he's doing or internal, the way he's feeling, or the condition of his faith is not what defines his ability to be great. Let me ask you, in what ways are you evaluating your performance? In what ways are you evaluating your faith that cause you to think your abilities to be what God would call you to be, to be good, to be great, to, to, to exercise uh, the giftings that he has, that they are somehow compromised because your performance isn't up to par, because your faith isn't as strong as it might be. Be honest. Think about the things that make you feel invalid as a Christian. It should tell us something that right here, when John the Baptist is failing, Jesus calls him great. It's not about your performance. Third, greatness isn't about what you have. This is the great American curse, the great Western curse, really. It goes beyond America. This hyper-focus on what you have, how you look, who you belong to is what you are, defines your greatness. Think about how it makes you feel when you begin to compare or evaluate yourself with regard to others in what you have, what you don't have, the job you have, the job you don't have, the job you lost, the job you... The, the money you have, the money you don't have, the, the, the height you have, the, 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 the weight you have, the look that you have, the hair that you have, the family that you have, the performance of your kids that you have, or the lack of performance of the kids that you have. This is the great curse of westernization is greatness is defined about on what you have. It's almost impossible for the American mind to imagine that there is a greatness apart from material things. John didn't have good clothes, wasn't in a king's palace, didn't affect his greatness. What is greatness about? Let's turn the corner. What is greatness about? Greatness is about what Jesus is doing and pointing to it. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not about you. It's about him. Jesus says, John is the greatest of those who have been born of women. And we think, well, that's everybody. Why didn't you just say everybody? Because it ain't everybody. There's one person in the room on the planet at that time, ever, not born of woman, but born of the spirit through a woman, Jesus. Jesus is subtly saying, John is great. I'm greater. I'm the great one here. When Jesus says to John, uh, sends back to John this message. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What's he saying? Like I said earlier, looks to me like John is stumbling. Jesus is saying, John, don't stumble on account of me. Why would John be stumbling on account of me? Because John already knows what the Messiah is doing. He said, go find out what the Messiah is doing. But it says, John knew what the Messiah, saw what the Messiah was doing and said, go find out what the Messiah is doing. Translation, the Messiah is doing a lot of amazing things, 
amazing things, miraculous things. Why am I still in jail? That's what I want to know. That's what we all want to know. If God is so good to do this and to do that, and you know the testimonies, you've seen it, we've talked about them. Wonderful things are happening in the world close at hand to you. God is doing amazing things. But we look at our own lives and say, if God is that powerful, if God is that good, if Jesus is that strong, if he's able to do that, why is my situation still what it is? Jesus says, don't stumble on account of me. Don't stumble on account of what I do and what I don't do. Don't stumble because you're still in jail. Don't don't think that I am not who I said I am. Don't think God is not great because of your condition. Jesus says very clearly, it is not about you. It is not about me. It is not about the accidental email that I got left off of. It's not about uh, being overlooked. It's not about my condition. It's not about how that guy was blessed with a great job and I wasn't. It's not about me. It's not about whether I got the virus or he didn't or they did and I did. That is not it. Don't stumble on account of what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is great whether you are great or not. That's a tough thing for the American mind to get its uh, head around. Greatness is about what Jesus is doing and about our role in pointing to it irrespective of what's happening in our life. Greatness is about our steadiness. Don't stumble, John. Don't stumble, Mike. Don't stumble, believer. Don't stumble, follower of Jesus, when your life isn't reflective of the things that you want. No matter what that is, you still have the capability, arguably a greater capability, to point to the things of Jesus. And when you do that, your life is great. Listen to where it all starts for John with regard to Jesus. It starts much earlier. It starts for John before he, John the Baptist, before he was even born. And we'll get into that. But for right now, here is John with his disciples talking to them about this coming Messiah when the Messiah shows up. This is earlier than the context that we had in Mark 11. Matthew 11. John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man comes after me who has surpassed me because he was before me. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. What made John the Baptist great was that no matter what his circumstances were, no matter what they would be, no matter how his performance was going, no matter what the condition of his faith was at the time, no matter what he had or didn't have, what made him great was the fact that he had the ability to point to the greatness of Jesus. If you and I do absolutely nothing else in this short life, you will have done enough. If you point to Jesus. If we do absolutely nothing else in this lifetime, you will have done what is critically important if you aim at the greatness of God. 
If you and I do absolutely nothing else in this short life, we will have done what we alone can do in particularly unique ways in your sphere of influence if you have pointed to Jesus. If you do that, you will be great in God's eyes. You will be great in Jesus' eyes. There are many worthy causes in the world, not to mention the ones in your own home, <laughs> right there in front of you. You've got multiple roles. You carry many responsibilities. You have myriad options to steward and distribute the resources that God has blessed you with. And of course, we should thoughtfully consider the blessings and resources that we have had entrusted to us. We shouldn't waste a single penny or ounce of energy and we should prayerfully consider what, when, where, and how to add value to the purposes of God with all of our strength, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul. You're going to make an impact in this life. You probably will. You're going to accomplish something in this life, maybe a ton. The question is whether it'll be great. Will it be great in God's eyes? It will be if you aim at Jesus and what he's done, and what he's doing. This is what the Bible tells us is our primary purpose of existence as a creation of God. Uh, like the painting to the artist, we are to reflect back to God. Him, the, the painter, is who should get the glory. Jesus himself says, whoever bears witness to me before men, I will bear witness to them before my Father. Paul puts it this way, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. King David said, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to you and your name be the glory for your love and your forgiveness. You see David putting it back. He's saying, not to us. And he repeats, not to us, not to us, not to me, not me, not me, not me, you. That is our God-given call. That is our God-given, that is the core essential thing of being Christian. And it is what it means to be great. The world puts Jesus on trial. The, the, the world puts Jesus on trial. And just like the, the days after Jesus was uh, risen, when he gathered people to testify to his greatness, he gathers people still today, his people, to bear witness to the truth of who he is. And some of us will be eloquent, and some of us will be able to say little more than, I was blind, but now I see. In any case... Whatever our eyes see of God, whatever our ears hear of Jesus, we need to open our mouths and speak of who he is. With our very lives and all of our resources, we have the high honor and privilege of aiming beyond ourselves and bear witness to our Savior. Listen to what happened to John when Jesus showed up on the scene. This is years before. Well, maybe not even a year. John had his own disciples, and he had been teaching them about this soon-to-arrive Messiah. And Jesus showed up, and the disciples of John came to John and said, 
look, Jesus is baptizing and everybody's going to him. And John said, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. This role of mine, this this thing that I've been called to do to point to Jesus is complete. He must increase. I must decrease. What's the greatest thing you can accomplish with your life? Aim at the greatness of God. Point to what God did in Jesus. Point to what they are doing even today, no matter what it costs you. Be careful of this lifelong trap, this insidious Western idea that thinking that highlighting the greatness of Jesus means that I must be great in some visible, honorable, measurable way. But what we begin to learn and what we're going to look into the next couple weeks is means that aiming at Jesus means giving up our greatness. And in many cases, our pursuit of greatness. I heard somebody say once that you can't be a Christian and maximize your life. It is our great calling to have our life minimized so that Jesus' life might be maximized. Like John said, I must decrease that he must, so that he might increase. This is what we're going to look at. In what ways does it seem to you, think about this this week, in what ways does it seem to you that only if your circumstances change can you point to Jesus? In what ways do you conclude that your poor performance, mistakes of the past, shame of today, invalidate you as a signpost for God? It's not true. Look at it. What parts of your clothes, your hair, your weight, your height, your attractiveness, your unattractiveness, your family, your good family, your bad family, your kids, your, your, your lack of kids, your marriage, your singleness, your whatever, Think about what it is about your life that you think implicates or constrains your testimony about Jesus. And know this, it doesn't. Secondly, think about this week, about this this week. What stories can you tell? What testimonies do you have? I've got a list of 10 of them here just from this week. An email from a friend whose family member is watching, is a part of the the community that is building online around Vista and thinking about things of Jesus and God that they've never before thought about. What a privilege. What an honor. That's God at work. That's not me at work. Have you seen the MSNBC clip of T.D. Jakes being asked to pray on primetime television? That's God at work. That's cool. Have you seen Rock City and One Church being asked to produce their Sunday morning worship services for ABC to play on Sunday morning? That's an unbelievable thing of God. Some other friends have recently led someone to Christ as a result of the strains and constraints of this pandemic. A car for a dear saint who spends her life pouring her life out for others. Suddenly the engine blows up and... It's covered. It's taken care of. That's a God thing. You haven't tossed your elementary sage homeschooling child out a window yet that that I've heard about. And you could. That's a God thing. You've neither, neither of you grounded up the homeschooling curriculum and driven it down into the disposal. That's, that's a, that's a thing of God. 
one of the pastors at Northwest Chapel, maybe you know, his wife Donna has suffered greatly through this virus and has, is coming out of it. Pray for her. She's not out of the woods yet, but they've been, uh, been rejoicing at the miracles of God on Easter that, that she's um, doing better, which was not foreseen. Open your eyes this week. See what Jesus is doing and find a way to aim for great by telling what you see and hear God doing. Point to Jesus and you will already be on your road to greatness, the thing that brings the most joy to the human soul. And don't let anything get in your way, not your circumstances, not your performance, nothing. Who last us to spend a little time here in the next few moments allowing Pastor Tammy to lead us uh, in worship and sing these words from your soul about the greatness of our Lord. And we'll see you Monday, tomorrow, for a devotional. Wednesday for prayer, Thursday uh, for some worship, all at noon. Join us. And thanks again for being with us.